Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak. What is up, Flip Aponami, and welcome to episode 79 of the Flipside Podcast. We are back from sabbatical, and I want to just briefly go over a couple things that I, I discerned during that sabbatical time and maybe some goals to have for us as a podcast listener community as I want this podcast to get better and better, and I want it to be sustainable for me as well. And so, uh, first thing is, if you missed it, there is a podcast survey that I created, and I would love for you to fill that out. A relatively small number of people have filled it out so far, but I'm deeply grateful to those of you that have. And please know that your comments and the, the, the things that you submit on the survey are really helping me shape the flip side to make it better. So so thank you. If you have not had a chance to fill out the survey, you can go to noahphilippiak.com slash survey, and you will find the podcast survey. I do want to read one of the comments from the, uh, the survey. Uh, it says, really appreciate the flip side, the humor, the deep talks and topics, the realness of it. It's really helped me become less and less tribal in my beliefs and positioning towards them. I think God, God's really used it to convict me of this specifically. Thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, I love that. Now, certainly, you know, s- some of the some of the feedback on the podcast on the survey is is more constructive in nature. But to hear that kind of encouragement is really helpful to me. And whoever wrote that, uh, you know, it's, this is all anonymous. Uh, but but to hear that, that that God is using the podcast to help you be less tribal in your beliefs. That's huge. That's a huge encouragement to me, and uh, I love it. I need that encouragement. So I would love others to uh, take a few minutes to fill out the survey. Again, that's noahphilippiak.com slash survey. Uh, a couple things. Uh, one change I'm planning on making is we're not going to do Noah's rant as a part of the long-form uh, flipside episode. So some people like Noah's rant. Some people don't. It is weird. Uh, it's it's a weird transition even for me, and it takes a lot of energy. And so instead of adding it at the end of a normal episode like this, episode 79, uh, Noah's rants will be put out as their own episodes, kind of a bonus episode material that you can skip if you don't want to listen to it. And I think that'll help uh, for, for a number uh, of reasons. And another thing that I, I want to, one of the questions at the end was, if you're not already a Patreon subscriber, would you become one? If it would help keep the flip side on the air. And about half of those that filled out the survey said yes. Uh, again, small sample size. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about that before we get into our interview uh, with Greg Coles. And, and just say, I, I want to set a goal that right now we're at 12 uh, patrons. And I'd like us to get up to 20 to really make the podcast sustainable. And what do I mean by that? One of my big takeaways, so I'm planting a church. I do nonprofit work uh, with a, an organization we started called New Humanity, which is one of my funding sources for my church plant. 
multi multi ethnic church planting, urban community development network. Also do Beyond the Battle, my book, and then the groups that we run out of Beyond the Battle, my alumni group. So I have a lot going on. In fact, I have too much going on, straight up. And I'm still discerning if I can keep doing the podcast. If anything were to go, it would probably be the first thing, uh, the first thing to go, just because of the responsibility of leading those other those other organizations. And so I'm hiring a producer and I'm hiring a scheduling manager. Uh, these are uh, people that I know, people that I trust, and I I need more uh, patrons on Patreon to be able to pay them. And so what that will mean is hopefully my responsibility will simply be just doing the recording of the episode and a few emails here and there, and their responsibility will be doing the producing, the editing, you know, the social media of it, as well as helping me with uh, some scheduling and your Patreon swag if you choose to become a Patreon supporter. So uh, the only way to make the podcast sustainable is for me to do that, for me to, to do less uh, of those portions of, of doing the podcast to hire others to do it. And I think that will really take the flip side as a whole up, you know, another level. Uh, so yeah, straight up. It, it, I, I don't want it to be like an ultimatum. It's not that I just want to be realistic that, you know, as I was talking as well, I was talking to a buddy of mine during the sabbatical period and you can pray for me. Um, I, I don't know if asking my podcast listeners to pray for me as I discern, you know, <laughs> should I get rid of the podcast? Uh, but I need it. I just I do need the prayer. I, I, I want to live with boundaries and margin. And so right now it's an experiment to say, OK, could I live with boundaries and margin by raising up some leaders here as well as in those other responsibilities that I'm looking at, um, getting others to do more so that I can do less, but keeping keeping the podcast going. So uh, the only way that will happen is 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 to give this a try. So to give it a try, uh, we're at 12 now. There's different tiers of giving you can give as low as three dollars a month or as, as much as as much as you want um some give fifty dollars a month and just to give you kind of a, a ballpark range but go to patreon.com slash noah philippiak and i'm just trying to break even really at this point but then above and beyond that i was talking to a a, a good friend during the sabbatical praying for each other and just what i'm discerning and i said you know if if I made more on the podcast, the goal is that I can be part-time at my church, which I already am, so that we can free up some of our church money, church dollars, to uh, hire other part-time staff, not have my my salary be the burden on a young urban church plant's budget. Uh, but it would the podcast would be easier to do if it felt more like a real job. And the podcast is fun. Uh, but also it's, you know, you go to your job because you're getting paid and there's people expecting you to do certain things and, and we want to have a certain level of professionalism that I want to get better at. Uh, but honestly, I, I need to get paid more from this uh, for it to be a legitimate, actual part-time job that allows me uh, to be part-time at the church. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense, you know, to put the time and energy into it. So uh, 20 Patreon pa- Patreons, 20 patrons is the goal uh, to just cover the uh, the expenses of hiring a producer and a scheduling manager and some of the other overhead that I have. And then above and beyond that uh, is the goal, right? It's, and that's that's the goal to make this a legitimate, hey, job that I'm going to keep doing consistently for a, for a very long time. And that would allow me to, to, uh, to stay in that part-time capacity uh, pay-wise. Uh, certainly the <laughs> The uh, the workload of church planting is 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 what it is, but but I'd love to be able to stay 
in, in that about three-quarters time pay at my church. So you can go to patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak to become a patron. Uh, we're going to try to get to 20 to make the podcast uh, sustainable. So i uh, going to jump into the interview, interviewing Greg Coles today. And we, we talk, we, we have a very uh, robust conversation about sex, about sexuality. And Greg is a, is a he's brilliant. Uh, he, he, he is a, a really deep thinker when it comes to uh, sex. He is a gay, celibate, single Christian. So put all those things together. Uh, he wrote a book called Single Gay Christian which I'll, I'll, I'll read uh, here in a moment in his bio. And, uh, but he, uh, he works at the Center for Faith, Gender, and Sexuality. I've interviewed Preston Sprinkle on the podcast a couple times. Preston is the director there, and some of you might be uh, familiar. But this, this is not something that Greg uh, woke up this morning and decided to talk about. He's lived this out. He's had to live through the tension theologically of, okay, I the way Greg reads the Bible, the way I read the Bible, says sex is meant for marriage between a man and a woman. And yet Greg, at a young age, you know, discovered that he was attracted to men. And Single Gay Christian is a wonderful book. I, I really, really encourage you to read it to give you empathy uh, for people that are gay and that are wrestling with this the kind of stuff Greg has had to wrestle with <clears throat> and as I mentioned in the interview it's also a really good book on discipleship what does it mean to pick up your cross and follow Jesus and for me as a married guy uh, you know beyond the battle just just all my own issues within marriage uh, man reading his book was like yo if this guy can pick up his cross and follow Jesus and sacrifice so much for Jesus uh, and for his walk, and to find Jesus in the, in that, it's not just a sacrifice. It's in it's then finding. Uh, I I I I pray it and describe it as we have these cracks and holes inside of us, and that the love of Jesus would fill those holes that we're looking to be filled from, from humans. And just a a beautiful uh, story. But just just know that it's never easy. It's never clean. You read about it in the books, and um, it's real life. It's like real life, just like it is. Uh, for for all of us, and so just kind of buckle up for this. Uh, Greg has a lot of. We have a lot of fun in the interview, but we we talk deeply, and it is it is meant to get you to think deeply. And this is a topic I would also encourage you. I've we've talked quite a bit about human sexuality on the flip side uh, in the past. Uh, most recently, I interviewed Pastor Jack Seitzema uh, in episode sixty seven. And then in episode 69, I interviewed he and his wife, Becky, about their mixed orientation marriage. I would, if you don't listen to anything else, uh, <clears throat> I would highly encourage you to listen to episode 67, where Pastor Jack gives his testimony and his he gives a sermon at his church that I include inside of that episode. And frankly, it's just the best talk I've ever heard uh, on on the, the topic of human sexuality from a gay uh, slash same-sex attracted pastor and uh, really sharing publicly with his congregation for the first time and just just really, really, uh, really powerful. We've also interviewed previously on the podcast uh, Nate Collins, Wesley Hill, Lori Krieg, and would encourage you to uh, to check those 
those uh, episodes out <clears throat> as well. For me, as a pastor, we're just starting a series called God and Sex at my church. And if you, if you haven't been aware, uh, this topic is tearing apart churches. It's tearing apart denominations. And in that episode 67, I hope you listen to my words in there. Uh, I just want my listeners to know, some who attend my church, uh, I, I, have, I have a lot of respect, and I know Greg does too, for those of you that are open and affirming in your theology. So open and affirming would mean uh, that, that your biblical interpretation of the overall uh, interpretation of Scripture would be that you know gay marriage is okay and that, that uh, same-sex sexual relationships, usually within marriage, uh, are okay. Uh, would would be that would be that view, and um, you're not going to hear from me something like, uh, you know, get out of here, uh, you know, th- that sort of thing. I, I I understand your view, I really do, and 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 in this sermon series at my church, I'm hoping to do the impossible, which is something I think Jesus did, where he was he was able to name truths uh, that Greg and I believe are true about Scripture. Uh, that that you'll see you know here in this interview, but in a way that uh, you know I I wish there were gay people in the New Testament. I I wish I wish that they were named. I'm sure they were they were there. I, I wish we could have seen Jesus's interaction, you know, with them. But you 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 do see case study after case study of people that the church had rejected. Case study after case study of people that were outcasts in society um, that just were drawn to Jesus. They were, ju- they were just simply drawn to Jesus. And I firmly believe that gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, uh, everyone, uh, people would, would be drawn to Jesus today if, if, he were, uh, if he were walking around today. And we in uh, churches like mine, really need to figure out how and and again that would be people like greg who are saying i'm gay and i'm celibate and single as well as others as well as others who who aren't who are in um who are in relationships you know uh romantic relationships or sex and or sexual relationships uh with the same sex and greg makes some great points essentially within the heterosexual realm uh we make all kinds of exceptions to that rule. And I don't think we say that specifically, but um, it's something I'll say here. You know, you think about it in the church, how many exceptions <clears throat> to the, the biblical norm of okay, marriage, uh, sex is within marriage between a man and a woman. We allow all types of people heterosexually that are, that are breaking that. Uh, into our church, and we would say, "We want you here. We, the church is for you. Jesus is for you." Uh, and and there's just a lot of double standards that we have when it comes to the way we address um, LGBTQ plus sexuality, and um, we get into some of those double standards here in this interview. And so uh, these interviews are meant to stretch you. If you want to interact more, you're always welcome to email the podcast. The email address is podcast at beyondthebattle.net. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Angry Brew for sponsoring the show. Thank you. I have got my Angry Brew uh, today in my awesome Flipside mug. By the way, you can get your own 
Uh, my third favorite podcast is the Flipside Mug or our other incredible swag uh, When if you become a Patreon subscriber. But go to angrybrew.com, fivelakes.com, pick up some Angry Brew or some Chris's Blend. Use the promo code FLIP, and you will get 10% off your order. Super thankful uh, for the folks over at Angry Brew for sponsoring the show. So let's jump into the interview with Greg. And then uh, we'll wrap up that interview uh, with a little conclusion. And, uh, again, there won't be a Noah's rant at the end of this uh, episode. And the goal for the flip side going forward is to do about two episodes a month and then another one or two uh, Noah's rants on top of that. Uh, You can head over to YouTube if you'd like to watch the show. Uh, Instead of listen, you can watch at YouTube.com slash Noah Filipiak and do subscribe to the audio feed to get your five-minute flips. All right, let's jump into the interview with Greg. Hey, let's not jump into the interview with Greg. I should read his bio first. I'm a little rusty. I made a few jokes about that (laughs) as I was talking with Greg. Um, Let me read Greg's bio, and then we'll jump into the interview with Greg. Gregory Coles is the author of Single Gay Christian, InterVarsity Press, and No Longer Strangers from InterVarsity Press. He holds a Ph.D. in English from Penn State and lives in Idaho's Treasure Valley, where he works as a writer and speaker. Greg is a senior research fellow at the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender and curates most of his creative activities at GregoryColes.com. So let me correct myself. Let's jump into this interview with Dr. Gregory Coles. Here we go. You ever heard the sound of freedom? Freedom, 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 freedom? Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? All right, Greg, thanks so much for joining us on the flip side. Oh, what a joy. Thanks for having me, Noah. Hey, right. So, uh, Greg, you and I got to meet uh, in Boise, Idaho, uh, a couple months ago. That, well, I think it was a couple months ago. That was, yeah, that sounds right. Pretty awesome. And um, the, the rumor on the street, in Boise was that you are not very good at the app hurdle the the music um guessing I've never played hurdle but it's like wordle but you guess music Uh, yeah due to your um missionary child upbringing um that you kind of missed out on on decades of secular music is this true can you confirm this for the flip upon my audience here I, I mean, here's here's what I'd like to say in my own defense. Well, yes, number one, I did grow up in Indonesia, and so that deprived me of you know some some time of music. And also, most of the people that I play hurdle with uh, were born approximately nine years before I was. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that I would be at their level, even if I even if I had grown up in the States. Also, I feel like growing up in Indonesia is a handy excuse for just generally having very little pop culture knowledge. And it's quite possible that I still would have been a child with very little pop culture knowledge, but Indonesia is definitely my excuse. Well, I did not grow up in Indonesia, but I did grow up Baptist. And there's some similarities, I think, to why I I also would be bad uh, at hurdle. Um, So, our our mutual friends, uh, Josh and Grace, who I stayed with when I was in Boise, were oh, playing delightful. hurdle, and and this is where uh, they let the cat out of the bag. That uh, because I said to him, I said, if that was like 1990s CCM hurdle, I'd probably be pretty good at it. Like if they were throwing out 
Cademan's Call and Third Day songs, I, I think I would be really good. And they said you and I have similar you know, skills in that area. Yeah, so that, that feels, that feels correct. And it should be noted too, that though Noah and I only met each other a couple months ago at this conference, because of our mutual friendship, I've already heard tales of Noah for a long time. So I feel like we went awesome. into our knowing yeah. one another with a sense that this would work out well. Yes. I love how God does, does things that way. So, and you know, your uh, center for faith uh, group, we'll talk about that, but your, your crew your posse, we've had several of them uh, on here as well. And I, I feel like you all are delightful. And, uh, you know, it, it's like just having another member of the family on. So that's also pretty awesome. I mean, I'm glad to catch up with this family reunion in that yeah, case. Yeah. And so I, and I've read both of your books. And so, and I should confess, I was thinking about this. I say I read them, uh, I listened to them on audiobook. So I don't know if that Ooh. counts. Uh, I, I hope it does, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's convicting me that I have to, when I say I read them, it's like, kind of, I listened to what you wrote and I really well, li I like them both. Well, that's so fun. It's especially fun in the case of the second one. Cause I got to read that audio book. Yes. So, yes. yeah, I don't remember the voice on the first one. I, I won't like, I don't want you to, uh, throw that person under the bus, whether you liked it or not, but I know sometimes it's strange to, listen to you know a book someone wrote be like that doesn't sound like them at all or whatever so <laughs> you know i'll tell you i'll tell you two story well one story about that uh, though i will say um i i thought he i thought he did a lovely job um you know for i i've never never met the man but i listened to a bit of it and i was like oh that's nice there was a sentence that i heard him read uh, and leave out the word not. And I was like, oh, that's the exact opposite of what I meant because he didn't read the word not. But other than that, um, I did get an email once from a reader and they were like, I want you to know, I just finished listening to the audiobook for your first book. It was a really good book, but I could not stand that reader's voice. He sounded like such a snob. Um, so <clears throat> I never thought he was a snob, but apparently some people thought he was a snob. So, then again, some people did. think I'm a snob. So maybe that was really like a well-paired reader. I... I can't imagine anyone thinking you're a snob. I, I would beg to differ with that. Well, that's so. kind of you. They, they have Hopefully not by the end of this conversation, you'll still carry that sentiment <laughs> with you. They have not met you in person. You, you, you do not, you do not have any snobbiness uh, about you. So I'll, you can, <laughs> I will testify on that behalf. Um, it's always strange in a podcast to be like, Hey, start out with your life story. Uh, but can you for us a little bit, like sum it up kind of, you know, you talk about that a lot in single gay Christian and you get into it even more, kind of some of the dynamics and the layers of the alienation you've experienced in No Longer Strangers. So uh, for listeners who haven't read, you know, either book, can you kind of give a, a synopsis of that, you know, some of your, your upbringing in Indonesia and just, uh, you know, in a sense, can you summarize both books uh, and your life story in about, you know, maybe 30 seconds or so? No, I'm totally kidding. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I am ready. Put me in. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give you, I'll give you sort of a, a broad structure yeah. uh, into which, and then, and then I'll explain briefly how sort of both, both books fit into that structure. Um, so I was born in very upstate New York, think basically Canada up, up that part of New York, uh, lived there for three years. And then my family moved to Indonesia. Um, and I grew up in Indonesia for 15 years, uh, came back to the States for college, um, my parents continued to be in Indonesia a while longer. Uh, college, I went to a Christian liberal arts college in Western New York for undergrad. And then I worked for a church for one year. Oh my gosh, you guys have mugs. That's so exciting. 
Can you read the it? Flipside mugs. My oh, third... my third favorite podcast. Yeah. This begs the question: What are your first two favorite podcasts? Uh, I don't know. I just know that mine isn't good enough to be the first for anybody. So it's just kind of like my running joke. So, <laughs> so this strive... is so you can give the merch to people and be like, I might have made yeah. third spot for you. We have low standards. If I if I shoot for third, I don't have to be that good, you know. So just like good enough, <laughs> good enough. So that's kind of the goal. I strongly respect that energy. Um, well, and maybe maybe you'd be better if you had guests that didn't interrupt themselves during their storytelling it. to you talk fit, about your mugs. You fit, but you fit right here in we are. around here. I might just That's, make you a co-host. It'll be great. I'm trying to trying to read the energy of the podcast here and oh, respond yeah. accordingly. This is the energy for sure. <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, I was moving back to America. No, no, I had gone to college. That's where college? we were. Yep. Um, uh, studied communication. Um, minored in music and literature. And then uh, then I started working for a church uh, for one year. And I actually thought I was going to work uh, at, at the church for a long time. Like I was like, I think I'll be a pastor. That's probably the yeah. career trajectory. Um, there were a number of reasons that the, the Lord moved differently. And I decided that was a, a great short-term place to be and not the right place to be forever. Um, but after a year there, I started grad school, uh, went to Penn State, studied English, um, uh, got my master's and PhD there. Um, and then I worked for a church for a couple more years as a worship leader um, and freelanced a bunch of my time writing and editing and speaking. And then two years ago now in 2021, um, I moved out to Boise, Idaho, um, where I work part time with uh, the Center for Faith, Sexuality and Gender, as we previously discussed. Yeah. Um uh, and uh, spend the rest of my time still kind of freelancing in various ways. Um, within that broad frame of my life, um, uh, so when I was between my master's and my PhD uh, in grad school, uh, I had this summer uh, where I was like, I'm going to write a novel, um, and I had terrible writer's block that summer. So instead of writing the novel, I took my agent's advice and just sat down in front of a blank Word document and wrote whatever came out of me, and whatever came out of me uh, was a book reflecting on my uh, my experience of sexuality over the years. Yeah. Um, so the quick spoiler there uh, is uh, I'm gay and celibate, which is sort of an awkward thing to be in a world that you know often feels kind of awkward about gay people, and certainly mm -hmm. feels kind of awkward about celibate people, and you know nobody's quite yeah. sure what to do with you. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I wrote this book very accidentally, um, uh, just kind of reflecting on my own experience. Um, that book came out while I was in grad school um, uh, and became, you know, the source of some of my opportunities to go yeah. around and chat with people and 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 the like. Um, uh, and, then, and then my second book, No Longer Strangers, gets to kind of start earlier in the story, reflect more on uh, life in Indonesia and sort of the weirdness of growing up as uh, a really highly privileged racial minority, which is different than the way we think about racial minority experience mm -hmm. in the U.S., where we think, you know, ah, the people with privilege are always the people in the majority. In Indonesia, it's very much the reverse. Um, uh, and so, you know, I had kind of a fraught sense of like where I did and did not belong growing up. Um, so No Longer Strangers is, you know, a book reflecting on that experience of like belonging in physical spaces. Um, also the experience of belonging or not belonging uh, in in terms of a community experience as somebody who, again, is gay and celibate. And, you know, they, 
white evangelical world feels pretty weird about that. Yeah. Um, but just reflecting on what it means as a follower of Jesus to to find ourselves seeking belonging in a world where we don't really ultimately belong. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Um, I, this is long before I met you. You know, when I when I listened uh, to Single Gay Christian, and uh, it was a couple of years ago, and I remember listening to it, feeling just the really inspired by your story, a story of mm. someone who's who's picking up their cross and following Jesus. And I, I want to say this for for listeners, you know, a, a listener might say, well, why would I why would I read that book if I'm, I'm not gay, you know, or whatever. Um, that book for me was so helpful as far as just mm. a book on discipleship goes like my own my own personal discipleship. And I do a lot of work, a lot of ministry uh, with guys, particularly around the topic of sex, because mm. uh, of my book Beyond the Battle. And, you know, we we definitely have uh, had a handful of gay guys come through our groups. We do these like seven week groups online uh, and we have an ongoing alumni community. And my, my point to this is these guys are in a lot of different places. Some are single, some are divorced, some are married like myself. And there's this Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right word. There's this myth, I guess, in the church uh, that that marriage will solve all your problems, sex will solve all your problems, and and this uh, guys get married and they're like, oh, marriage and sex did not solve all my problems, or or you know they're having sex, you know, before marriage. It's like sex isn't solving solving all all my problems, and I don't know. I think sometimes it can be um, just your story. It 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 be, it was so inspiring to me in my own marriage to be like mm. man if like greg can pick up his cross and follow jesus with with joy and certainly with struggle and pain but with joy and can truly model like that is modeling what mm. discipleship is then i can do it within my own marriage like i i i i don't want to <laughs> my wife would not enjoy me getting into all you know all of those issues here on this podcast uh, but there's plenty of times when it's like, oh, woe is me. And I get all this entitlement and I have a whole chapter uh, that my book starts out uh, talking about entitlement that we take in into our marriages. So anyway, it's a long way of saying I'm really inspired by you and your Christian walk. And for others who are walking a similar path as you. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. And for, for listeners, if you're any of my Beyond the Battle listeners, you should read Greg's book. Uh, because you will be inspired by it. And and whatever your situation is, you're going to say, man, if this guy can follow Jesus like that, you know, so can I. So I just want to say thank you. Big encouragement. Oh, shucks. What an honor. Thanks, yeah. Noah. Yeah. And on that same line, I, I got to say the flip side of that coin, I get really frustrated when I hear uh, conservative Christians who have like a problem with you or have a problem with, you know, Wes Hill or Nate Collins or Lori Krieg or whoever, like people that are gay, uh, that have that have like, hey, I'm gay and I'm I but I'm going to uh I believe in the Bible's view of sex and marriage between mm -hmm. a man and a woman. Uh and I, I think what you're doing is so difficult. I, I think it is harder than anything I have to do. And to me, you are one of my faith heroes to say. Jesus is that worth it to you and the church not all but some and I know you I know you have to deal with this uh the church that somehow like lessens you because 
you have attraction to the same sex that you don't control. And we'll get into some of that potentially in this podcast. I don't want you to have to rehash all that. Uh, but how do you, how do you, uh, I don't even know what I'm asking you. I just want you to know it's frustrating to me when I hear that. And I think those people are really wrong. And they're, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like Paul sacrifices all this stuff for Jesus. And it'd be like people just saying, oh no, he's not, we're not following. Like he's, he's not worthy, worth being an example of Christ because of some, I, I don't know. It's just, mm. um, how, so, so let me try to wrap that into a question. Like, tell us a little bit about that. Just tell us about w- what that's like for the church to, you've, you've hinted at it, you know, like some of the alienation and, and things like that. The church doesn't know what to do with a gay Christian though you're you're like yo i'm celibate yo i i'm i'm actually submitting to what you exactly what you believe I'm, and i'm actually taking a harder path a more difficult path than you are um how do you how do you how have you experienced that from from the church and and how do you process all that yeah 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 you know i think well there there are there are a number of factors that can play into the the challenge of that or even the the discomfort or or tension that I think people feel. And I don't want to diminish the the reasons that people might feel to have concern with a story like mine, right? Like I think um I think there are there are lots of reasons that people might understandably feel cautious of me. Um uh now ha- having said that, you know, I I would love for them to feel less cautious of me. Um uh but uh, but one of the dynamics is, is just the linguistic dynamic that, you know, pe- people have all kinds of strong feelings about what language one should use to describe oneself uh, when when one turns out to have an experience of being attracted to the same sex and seeking to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, and on the one hand, I mean, I, I love when people think that language is important because, you know, I got a PhD in English. Right. So I'm like really <laughs> here for the language being important notion. Yeah. Uh, I'm all about it. Um, uh, and yet I think a thing that often happens in language is we decide how we understand certain words. We decide the the ways that, that we would like to use language. Um, and then we try to interact with the rest of the world as if the only function that any word has in the world is the function that we have given to it. Um, we tend as human beings to have an incredibly, uh, narcissistic, understanding of language that's very much rooted in just our own experience Mm -hmm. um and i think that the challenge that arises then is lots of lots of folks uh within at least within uh evangelical christianity uh, have a pretty negative view of the word gay yeah um uh, and you know assign a lot of baggage to that word uh, even though the baggage they assign to it isn't inherently connected to the word and certainly not connected to the way the word gets used in the world more broadly. Um, so, you know, I, when I came out, I was in grad school, uh, 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 humanities program at a state school and the word gay to most of the people I was in grad school with just meant like someone who is, you know, persistently attracted to the same sex, um, uh, it, it didn't necessarily mean some of the some of the things that uh, evangelicals would assume that it meant. Um, 
So, so, so that's, that's one sort of dispute is like the, the language dispute. Like, is this the right language to use? Um, mm. uh, there, there can also be concerns about, uh, the question of whether the state of being attracted to the same sex is itself like a morally culpable sin. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and here we, we have kind of two layers. There's, there's some, some folks, some, uh, some reform theologies that would say any experience of sexual attraction to somebody that you're not married to should be understood as a morally culpable sin. And there, I mean, I, that particular understanding of reformed homardiology, which I recognize is not everyone's understanding, um, I find it hard to line that up with uh, scripture saying that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Uh, mm. It seems like if, if you're going to say uh, that there are certain kinds of temptation that are inherently sinful, yeah. then you're saying, well, Jesus, he was tempted sort of like we are, but not exactly like we are, uh, and not in every way, just in some ways. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I find it a terribly compelling argument. Um but but there are also I think folks who who would want to say oh no the experience of being straight those sorts of sexual attractions um, that kind of experience of sexual temptation is is not itself sinful in the same way as being gay there's sort of a, a separate category for people who are gay um, uh, and some people will try to defend that view using Romans one to say like ah Romans one explains to us just how bad an experience of same sex lust is. Um, it seems to me if anyone succeeds in reading Romans 1 and concluding that uh, some other people who are not you are worse sinners than you, um, <laughs> then maybe you should really skip yeah. ahead to Romans chapter 2, verse 1, um, yeah. uh, because it, it has a few things to say on the subject. You know, you then have no excuse, you who cast judgment on someone else, because at whatever point you condemn someone else, you yourself stand condemned because you who judge do the very mm. same things. Amen. Pass the communion wafers. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so so yeah, so there, there. I mean, there 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 are lots of things, uh, lots of things that people could uh, feel leery about when it comes to me. I, but but to get to maybe what's the more uh, to to me the 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 most interesting part of the experience of being someone who has other Christians look at them sometimes and is like, yeah, I don't know about you, Coles, you seem sketchy. Um, hmm. uh, it, it really forces me, uh, and I think for, for a lot of folks I know who are in a, in a similar position, in a similar vocation, um, it forces us to really reckon with the difference between following Jesus for the sake of following Jesus and hmm. following Jesus for the sake of being perceived as following Jesus. Wow, yeah. Um, and I think... I think for so many Christians, uh, including myself at, at many stages of my life, it becomes really easy to confuse those two things, to think, oh, to the degree that I'm actually following Jesus effectively, I will also be perceived by the Christians around me as someone who is following Jesus effectively. And because of that, our motivations can get really tangled up. And so I'm just following Jesus for his own sake because I care so much becomes almost indistinguishable from I'm following Jesus because I've gotten really fond of the experience of having the people around me look at me and say, ah, yes, Coles, you're doing it well. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it is, it is a gift to begin to disentangle those things uh, and to actually ask ourselves, which matters more to me, the, the perceptions of the people around me um, 
or the actual gift of who Jesus is, even if following him turns out to be precisely the thing that causes me to be seen um, as a bit of a, uh, oh, what's a good word for it? Um, as a bit sketchy. We'll, we'll, we'll settle mm. with that, shall we? Um, uh, yeah, if, if following Jesus turns out to be the thing that makes me appear to some people, uh, that I am outside of the bounds of their vision of proper Christendom. Yeah. Um, is it, is it still worth it in those moments? And that I think whether or not we answer the question effectively, it seems to me that even being put in a position of asking the question can be a real gift to our walk with Jesus. Mm. Man, that's good. Yeah. And you, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think God, for Jesus that like, you know, he's our ultimate, like, you know, just Amen to that. Right. I just honestly, cause it, it's easy and we, in different ways, you know, but it's easy in the church to, ah, to, but it's, there's comfort in knowing that truly God is our judge, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that like we have scripture and we have the Holy spirit. And so, yeah, you brought up a couple big topics um, that are great. And I didn't, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to make you rehash the SSA versus gay, you know, and rehash the, but, you know, it is tough because, ah, oh, right. And I, I'm trying to gauge myself, like how much, let me say a couple of things as host of this podcast and as a pastor and, and some people in my church listening um, from my perspective. And I've said these things before on here, and then feel free to let me know uh, if I'm, if you're tracking with me or, um, or not. So uh, one, I think there's, um, I won't name names, but there's blogs. There's a, there's maybe a blog in particular that um, a lot of people read and they'll, they'll write articles and they'll say things like, this is why you must use same-sex attraction and not gay. And if you use gay, you know, you're in sin or something. And then people read that and they're like, oh, God just wrote this blog and Greg Coles is a sinner. <laughs> right. Okay. So that bothers me. And it bothers me like the way we perceive some of these blogs, like as if these people writing these are, you know, like we just mm -hmm. put too much authority in, in, in some of this. Um, I know, I know uh, individual friends, people in my church and, 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 and outside uh, that use same sex attracted to describe themselves. And I think they have great reasons for it. And I have friends that use gay to describe themselves and have great and have great reasons for it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what Christians need to understand, and they often don't, is like you you were you were getting you were you were alluding to it. Um, some Christians hear gay and they think they think it means you're accepting the sin the Bible talks about of sex of gay sex, and mm -hmm. that that that's a sin. And so if you if you take that word on to describe yourself. No, I've heard people say so many times, well, I don't I don't identify myself as a, a prideful Christian or, a you know, a whatever, fill in the a, a greedy Christian. I'm just a Christian. My identity is. And I think what they're really missing and I can't I don't remember exactly from your story. You can what age you were when you, you know, discovered you had same sex attraction. Um, but I was just talking to a friend recently. You know, he was seven years old. And he's seven years old. He likes boys. And he also talks about um, liking things. And I, this isn't true of everybody's story, but for him, he's, he's like, I liked things that boys didn't like. Like the hobbies that I liked mm. 
weren't the hobbies other that other boys liked. And I wanted to have the hobbies other boys liked, and I just didn't have them. I had these, you know, he listed out some other some other hobbies. And you look at a seven-year-old, you know, that's like has attraction to boys and who's having these other hobbies, and you go, How there's something about being gay that is nothing to do with sex. It has to do, and I and again, this is where I kind of falter. I don't have all the right words and I don't want to say the wrong thing, but um you could you could probably help us out there, but I think that's really what's what's needed. And I I had a, a question I'm going to ask you in a minute. We'll table it for now. I'm doing a sermon series right now on sex, so we just started it on Ooh, Sunday and uh, just did the kickoff on Sunday, and then we're going to do it for the next few weeks. And I asked I asked uh, my friend, I was like, what's um, what would you want to hear? What would you want to hear in that in that sermon? And he said, you need to tell like these Christians that. I'm paraphrasing here, but basically um, being gay is about a lot more than sex. Like sex is a very small mm. part of it. And um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday because I just kicked the series off. So we're just like kicked all the dust up in the air. And I thought, man, can you, and you can imagine it, you've lived it. But I was talking to this fellow straight person and I said, can you imagine you're a child and you discover like you're attracted to the opposite sex? And all you hear in the church is, if you're gay, you're you're a sinner. You know, you're you're go. You know, some would say you're going to hell. All these, I, I've heard the stories of the parents who are like, if my child were gay, I'm going to disown them. These Christian parents, and it's literally something you didn't have a choice in, mm. and and don't have control over. And you're going to church, and you're going, what? And, and then we wonder why the suicide rate is so high and mm. why the, the exodus from the church is, is so massive. So um, I said a lot of things there, uh, but I, I want people to hear to hear my heart as a pastor and as, as host you know, of this podcast. And I, and I think it's totally fine if people use the word gay to describe themselves and their experience, particularly- That's a relief, because otherwise this could have been a much shorter podcast. You, you would have to- we would censor your book. We would just change the <laughs> title of it. Um, and uh, particularly when, I mean, I love your title. It's like, well, okay, single gay Christian. But as you talk about being single, you're like, you just let off. You're like, I am a celibate gay Christian. It's very clear. It's very clear that gay and sex are not the same, right? Like you you can't. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm straight. I'm off my game, Greg. I just came off a sabbatical. I don't even know how to ask questions anymore. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm just like ranting and raving. And then I'm like, oh, I should probably come up with a question for my I, guests. I mean, I, I, will, I will receive your question as respond in some there way you go. to that Respond that in some way to that which, rant, please. I mean, I have, I have some thoughts you'll be shocked to hear. <laughs> um, one of them is, yeah, apropos of the the thing you were saying about the people who were like, well, you know, I don't know why you call yourself gay because like I wouldn't call myself adulterous. Um, yeah. And a lot of people who say that it's like you wouldn't call yourself adulterous, uh, I hope, unless you are actively adulterous. Um, but you would if you're able to like uh, if you're able to talk openly about your ongoing experience of the world, you would call yourself straight or heterosexual. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, so uh, I, I wrote a blog once. Um, about I won't I won't say the name of the particular theologian, but it's a it's a a much respected theologian um, who, among other things, participated in the creation of a document 
um, mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. arguing that people shouldn't use the word gay to describe themselves. And he gave an interview explaining that paper. And in the interview, he called himself heterosexual. Um, and so I wrote a blog about it. And I was like, yeah. I love that he's willing to like acknowledge the nature of his attraction over time. He as a married man says like, yeah, I recognize that there are both aspects of my experience that are good and can be ordered toward honoring God. And also like there are experiences of ongoing sexual temptation as a heterosexual man that I'm called to say no to. And I can acknowledge those things. And so I love that he like acknowledges them and then takes the word that is culturally understood to describe those things and uses it to describe himself. Um, uh, and so I said in the blog, like, I just, I just wish that he would give me the dignity of also yeah. having the ability to do the same thing with my own experience. It seems to me sometimes when, when, uh, when straight people feel uncomfortable with like the equation of like, well, but no, but like being straight isn't inherently sinful. Whereas being gay is inherently sinful, even if, and we'll talk momentarily about like not reducing sexual orientation to just the experience of like sexual attraction or sexual yeah. temptation. As you said, it's so much more than sex. We'll go there momentarily. But even if you were to accept the premise that we could just reduce our experiences of, of sexuality to who we are sexually attracted to, sexually tempted toward. Um, my experience as somebody who's exclusively gay um, uh, means not only that I experience attraction toward the same sex, it also means that I experience absolutely zilch attraction to the opposite sex. It means that you could drop me in a room full of naked women and I would be like, oh, look, my dearly loved sisters in the Lord, right? And feel absolutely no temptation like, to lust in that Aren't you cold? Moment. Aren't you all cold? Like, can, I, can I get you a blanket or something? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it. Um, that was inappropriate. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm I'm just I'm just so rusty right now, Greg. Thank you for being my like, you know, uh, what do you call this? Like, it's like preseason. We're trying to get back into the rhythm of doing a podcast again. It's what it, what it, what a joy to allow you to cut your proverbial eye teeth on me in this way. <laughs> That's right. Thank um, you. Keep going. Uh, so. So, yeah, um, the. the the notion, the notion that for me to to not experience that kind of sexual temptation, if you say like, oh yes, like your experience as somebody who experiences, you know, a, a temptation toward the same sex and not toward yeah. the opposite sex, um, is you know inherently deficient to my experience, which right. is the proper one, which is where I just, you know, right. am tempted to lust toward you know the opposite oh, sex instead yeah. of the same sex, and that's right. clearly superior. <laughs> Um, I wonder if the if part of the problem there is not that we have like too low a view of uh, same sex sexual orientation, but that we have too high a view of straightness. Yeah, um, like sure. if your vision of straightness is like, oh no, like it's such a good and tremendous thing that I experience sexual temptation, you know, toward way more people than the one person that I am married to. Um, and that's just good and normal. And God really wants me to lean into it. Um, like if that's your vision of heterosexuality, then, then the problem is that you need, you need a more realistic, um, and a less self-aggrandizing view of your own experience of sexuality. No offense. Well, maybe some offense, you know, if I hey. stepped on some toes, I hope so. Dude, um, it's all good, brother. Dude, let me just say, it reminds me, you talk about that reform doctrine, whatever, of if you are a... What, what did they say? I don't even remember. Okay, let me just say this. I First of all, you just said several things I said in my sermon on Sunday. So I'm proud of myself there. I'm tracking with you. I've got your your like stamp of approval. I love it. Um, it is, I am attracted to women. 
that is frustrating to me. Okay. Like, let me mm. just say that. Like I am attracted to many women and it's not a sin for me that, that I fought. Like I've told someone once, just cause I got married, it doesn't make all attractive women unattractive. Like, Oh, all of a sudden they're just not attractive anymore. I mean, it is a ridiculous notion to me. Okay. Now I got to calm down. I got to be more respectful. Scratch it from the record. I can't say it's a ridiculous notion. I was going to say um, something else. No, I wasn't. Um, okay, let me start over. I disagree when someone says that you, as someone who's gay, that your attraction is a sin. You can't control your attraction because I would be in like blatant sin all the time because I find women attractive. And I... I I get to choose what I do with that attraction mm. and, and, and I get to, I get to choose what I, what I do with it. But to say that it's a, a sin to be attracted to someone, I just think, wow, that, that is, they have created an extreme double standard for gay people because mm. that is just, it's, it's so, yeah. And I, I love what you're saying. I mean, it's like, first of all, I, <laughs> Here's part of me as you're talking, I'm like, man, I'm kind of jealous if you could get dropped in a room like that and not have any issues at all. Like, gosh, I would love to have that be true of me. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I feel like I've been drinking this morning, but it's just that I've been drinking my angry brew. Shout out to my sponsor. And <laughs> I'm talking to you. I think you're bringing it out in me, Greg. So. Oh, well, what a, what a joy. May, <laughs> may that dynamic be further accentuated as we continue to talk. Uh, oh. I, oh, okay, so um, can, I, can I carry us two degrees further yeah. uh, in, in, that, in that same conversation? So one degree further from the like recognizing that every experience of sexuality has, you know, both its capacities for, you know, temptation, its, its dangers, and also its, its capacities for good. Um, it's also important to recognize that, again, even if we only reduce sexual orientation to experiences of uh, sexual attraction and temptation specifically, an orientation, we're talking about like broadly over the course of time, here are the experiences of attraction that I suspect I will have when I have them, as opposed to, I think a lot of people, when they hear the word gay specifically, they think like, oh, so like, at all times, like at this exact moment, you're experiencing same-sex attraction. And at this exact moment, I am not experiencing same-sex attraction, even though Noah's very handsome, you know, congratulations. <laughs> but um, but, but like <clears throat> uh, to talk about sexual orientation is just to talk about a general pattern over time. If I am going to experience sexual attraction, yeah. I know what it will look like. It's not like at every moment, you know, every time I see somebody of the uh, same sex, um, I think, yeah, I think sometimes, especially especially straight men sometimes freak out about this with gay men. They're like, oh, so you're gay, and that means you're attracted to all of us, like you must be attracted to me. And I think, straight men, you just got to get a hold of yourselves. You're not as attractive as you think you are. That um, is so funny. Uh, I Let me just say this, though, too. Even if that were true, okay, who cares? Like, so if I'm talking to a woman that I find attractive, I can't, like, talk to her. Like, I can't. I'm able to process that. I'm able to compartmentalize that as a mature Christian and go, I'm not, okay, I, I'm not doing anything with that. It's, it's like, if, if I'm talking to a guy, I, I just think, again, there's so many double standards that the church is putting on you with that same dude who's saying that, and he's talking to some attractive woman in his church. 
he's he could feel like some attraction to her and that's okay. It's not like he's lusting over her or he better not be like he can choose if he's going to go into the like lust or pursue that attraction. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so stupid to, to, I don't know. So I I love what you're saying. And, but I also think that's a huge double standard because you're going to feel attraction to people and I feel attraction to women and I just have normal conversations with them. And then sometimes I'll tell an accountability partner about it. Like, man, I feel attracted to this person. It's really annoying. Just, I'd make sure, make sure I, I'm just letting you know, make sure I don't do anything stupid, like, like be extra, try to be funny or try, you know, just like stupid things that I would, that I would do. Um, anyway, dude, keep going. I'm so terrible. I'm keep just, no, this is great. I'm, I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving all your interjections. No, I keep them coming. Um, Okay, so so then so then to to move us to move us yet further right so so even if we were just talking about temptation you know there there are reasons to kind of equate the experience as we recognize like it's more than just specific attraction or temptation it's also just we're talking about general patterns yeah. um, and then once we move yet further afield from that and say there's a whole lot that's involved in what we could call being gay or being straight for that matter um, that isn't just about Sex isn't just about sexual attraction per se. Yeah. Like there, there are some larger components of that experience. And here's where I think, I mean, we get into sort of murky territory. Um, uh, I think we get into some speculative territory. People people get into some trouble here. So here's hoping that you and I, Noah, can become among good. those people who get into trouble. Um, it's only people's third favorite podcast, so it's fine. It's not like we, you know, it's fine. We don't have a big drop or anything. So, perfect, perfect. Yeah. yeah so, so this will, so this will be, this will be safe space to explore a few ideas. Okay. Um, so, for instance, um, uh, I mean, think, think about this. Um, the, you know, you know, when you're, when you're around certain people, and, and prior prior to and maybe even in some ways unrelated from the specific like oh wow this person is attractive there can also be just like the gut level experience of like like the butterflies that you're not quite sure like why like did i just you know did i eat an apple that was a little too sour or like am i feeling something right now you know that that like that that deep gut sensation that you're just like i don't know um uh I've uh, I'm currently rereading the Harry Potter series, um, yes. which hopefully is also you know super controversial to your. Audience. We would have burned uh, those books growing up uh, in you know my childhood, but yeah, I'm reading those to my daughter right now. So. Oh, how fun! She's obsessed um, with them. So so I'm I'm in book five, and hopefully this is not too much of a spoiler for anyone. Spoiler: but Harry hey. has kind of a thing for Cho Chang in book five. Um, uh, but a lot of what we see in book five is just Harry being super awkward around Cho Chang, um, which is like multiple degrees removed from like anything. I mean, you know, th- these are these are teens. The the books are very much not explicit. Um, this is this is not like a, a sexual or like like pre sexual relationship that Harry has with Cho Chang. This is just like when he's around her, like he gets super awkward. Um, and it is, and it's so maddening to read as a reader. You're like, come on, Harry, pull it together. <laughs> pull it together, um, Harry. <laughs> uh, but, the, but there is, there is a sense in which just the ways we interact with different kinds of people um, are shaped by things like our experience of our attractions, even when they're unrelated to attraction per se. Um, right. So, like the ways that I will interact 
when I'm with the sort of good looking man that I'm like, oh, you're the kind of person that I could be attracted to. Like I have been socialized in certain kinds of ways. I have had to socialize myself in certain kinds of ways to figure out like, how do I deal with those interactions? Um, right. In ways that like, I could be around like a, like a, a, a drop dead gorgeous woman who I think uh, I would know many guys who would sort of automatically, even before they became aware of like, this woman is attractive. They would just like, they're socialized yeah. to be, I don't know, potentially awkward around her and i'm like super normal like she and i can be besties in three <laughs> minutes flat you know like yeah, it's yeah. not a problem um uh, so so there are just ways that our our uh our mode of interacting with the world um gets informed by our experiences of attraction but then continues to be true in ways that are completely separate from attraction per se right it's kind of like what you were saying about the seven-year-old like yeah um, unless this was a very precocious seven-year-old and here i mean precocious in the sense of like experiencing sexual attraction well well uh before the the typical human average um then this is a seven-year-old whose experience of being gay uh has everything to do with socialization um and nothing at all to do with sexuality furthermore and let me just throw this in as a fun like i have no statistical evidence here this is this is purely anecdotal but but i meet so many people um uh so many uh gay men who play the piano mm-hmm. um it's 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 just absurd to me like um like the number of times that i'll meet somebody and they'll be like i'm a worship leader and i play the piano um and then later they'll be like gay you know um or they'll be like yeah i'm gay you know i'm a musician and i'll be like oh what do you play and they'll be like oh the piano um and yeah i i can't explain it um and yes if you know if you know a male worship leader who plays the piano and is mysteriously single i don't want you to go around thinking (laughs) that person is gay um but uh i'm just saying our ratings are gonna go up after this we're gonna hit twitter good on this one (laughs) hey colts Okay, okay. I have a point here, I swear. I um, love this. And and the point is as follows that I can't explain exactly, but it does it does seem that there's there's simply something about um uh certain sensibilities of the world that can make people disproportionately likely to pursue or not pursue certain kinds of activities. Um, right. Why, why do we have stereotypes about gay men and musicals? Um, well, it's a stereotype, so it's not entirely true. Um, and yet there does seem to be something broadly true, um, that certain kinds of experiences of the world, uh, certain sorts of predispositions can lend us to incline in certain directions. Um, and if we recognize that that's true, that we are predispositionally inclined in a variety of directions, um, then for me to talk about being gay is not simply to talk about experiences of sexual attraction, but it's also to talk about my own particular alchemy of predispositions yeah. that causes me to do things like play the piano. And I don't mean to brag, but I'm I'm half decent hey, as a piano player. Nice. Um, and would I be would I be as good of a piano player if I were straight? Um, it's a really interesting question that is completely impossible to answer. Like I said, this is where we get into speculative territory and get into trouble. Um, and yet it seems to me that those things are, uh, they're inextricable. Um, 
yeah. uh, right? Which for those of you who don't know the word is a fun way of saying like they're entangled with each yeah. other and you can't just easily disentangle them. Yeah. Uh, and so once we talk about sexuality, like we're talking about all of that, even if we think we're only talking about part of it, we're trying to have a conversation about the yeah. whole thing. And that's where a lot of this pain comes in. And, I, and I've heard that consistently from gay people that are Christians that are trying to wrestle through this wherever they kind of end up landing. And they're, they're saying what you said with, you know, piano, but just in different, they're giving different examples, my interests, my hobbies. I can't articulate it the way you did or the way they do, but basically they're like, my hobby of this or my interest in this is just as much about, about me being gay as mm. who I'm attracted to. And so when you as a church are like, it's a sin to be gay, it's like, well, it's a sin to, you know, play the piano or, you know, or whatever, like whatever the, whatever the hobby is, or maybe it's musicals or, you know, whatever. So yeah, those are the types of things that Christians who I think are still living in like a 1980s and 1990s view of, mm. of human sexuality need to really get caught up to speed on in a hurry. Because back then I remember just as a kid and as a teenager, at least in my niche of the church, and I think it was pretty predominant, it was just like, yo, you choose this. So don't choose it. It's gross. Don't do it. Uh, don't choose it like you wouldn't choose to rob a bank. Don't choose this. And therefore, we can condemn you, you know, because you're you're choosing this. And so there's still people that hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope conversations like this, uh, you know, can, can can help people at least start to go, oh, oh, that's that's different than I thought. Yeah, it's helpful when you like actually talk to gay people about what the experience is like, you know, of being gay. And so um, so. Yeah, this is good. This is really needed. I'm going to try to be a good podcast host, and I have actually some questions that I need Ooh, to ask fun. you um, before uh, you know. I take up your in, your entire day, though you are two hours behind me, so you've got you're good. I know you've got time more than the day is young. The day is young. So, um, all right, let me let me ask you this. I I am preaching the sermon series, so like I asked my friend, um. What uh, what advice do you have for me as I preach this sermon series? So it's a four week series. Uh, I, I I realized Mother's Day is like would have been like week four of the series. That oh man, so we're skipping Mother's Day. We're gonna, we're gonna not talk about sex on Mother's Day. Uh, but it'll be four of the next five weeks. I kicked it off this last Sunday, and I'm planning to take week three to just specifically talk about human sexuality, uh, LGBTQ plus, and for, for you, Greg, and, 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 and you, you know, the work you do with the Center for Faith, Gender and Sexuality, uh, is that what it's called? Do I, did I get all the, the words in the right, in the right order? Yes, uh, faith, sexuality, and gender, but you, I, you had all the right words. I just, I was close. I was really close. So close. I can't ever remember what RCB stands for either, so it, it sounds like a micro brew that Grand Rapids would make, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, we basically, RCB is, uh, for those of you listening, uh, the name of my church here in Boise, Resurrection Covenant Boise. But I, we're basically a microbrew. Like, it, if it, there were a church in Boise that sounds were a microbrew, like I like micro to think brew. we would be close. So, yeah. I love it. That should be your gift to new people, is like a stein with, like, your logo on it, with filled with, like, IPA. So, I'll have okay. a word with the team. Um, all right. So what advice do you have for me for the sermon? And, and what I mean, I mean, this specifically, like, what would you like to hear? And what do you think? And, and we didn't get into side A, side B. I've done that before. Um, I think when I interviewed Nate or Wes, I don't remember. And we don't have to get into it here. But let's say particularly like if, if you were an open and affirming gay person listening to this series, 
what would you like to hear? Um, and feel, I don't know, I, again, I always wonder like, how much do I need to define this stuff from, uh, let's just say, I don't, we don't need to define it right now. But if you were um, a gay Christian and you're, I don't I'm not some steps fine. If you're anybody, you, you, you work with a lot of people at Center for Faith. Um, what is it that you want to hear in a series like this from a straight pastor, you know, um, I, this is legit. I'm I'm gonna take some notes. So, what? Uh, give me well, some advice. Um, well, in that case, let me. I'll send you my consulting fee. Uh, hey, I've already downloaded your pastoral papers. Those are incredible. So, oh, thank we've you got some. We've got some those. good papers. Thank oh, you. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, so one thing one thing that comes to mind that I think I've been I've been pondering a lot recently. Um, just in, in how we have conversations about sex, about sexuality, is that I think our habit for a long time, um, uh, uh, within evangelicalism at any rate, uh, has been to be, to be hyper-focused on boundary questions. Like, okay, so which things are, which things are allowable, which things are not allowable, where precisely is the line, um, uh, and I mean, certainly, I think that's that's true in, in the conversation we have about same-sex sexuality, right? The question of like, okay, so same-sex sexual relationships, yes, no, maybe so, like, where are we at? Um, as if that is the most important thing we can give people is just like the right answer. Um, and hear me, I, I think, I happen to think that the question of where we land on our sexual ethics um, uh, around same-sex sexual relationships is important. Like, I... If I did not think it was important, I probably would not be living my life in the way that I'm currently living my life. Um, so I think that's significant. Um, and simultaneously, I also think that a lot of other questions related to sexual ethics are significant. Um, I think that the question of when, if ever, remarriage after divorce is the best course of action for followers of Jesus is important. Um uh, I happen, and this is a super unpopular opinion among evangelicals, I happen to think that the question of uh, whether or not sex during a woman's menstrual period is advisable for married couples is important, um, even though I think uh, many Protestants don't prefer to discuss that one. I, I'm i here for talking more about sex during menstruation. Um, uh, <laughs> no, uh, okay, that's not exactly true. I'm I'm here for having that be as as much as much uh, a part of our uh, our discussion of sexual ethics as anything else. Um, and yet, with all of these topics, um, I think I think we do ourselves and our communities um, and the folks who are not in our communities but are looking on from the outside a disservice if we have those conversations in a way that implies that the most important thing we can do is simply arrive at the correct answer. Um, uh, I think I think we see that particularly to be true um, when we're thinking about, say, uh, dating couples who are pursuing marriage and are and are keep asking questions like that, the how far is too far question, right? And it's like, well, okay, so the line is right here. Um, and I think the the discourse of the line, the discourse of this is okay and this is not okay, um, tends to draw us toward the kind of behavior in which we sort of like do everything we can to get right up the, to the line, you know, like, well, I heard making out is is acceptable and it's just like, it's just penetrative sex is not um, uh uh, and and so we find ourselves, you know, trying to get right up to the line. It seems to me that the much more fruitful conversation in all of these spaces um, 
sometimes has less to do with okay, where specifically are the lines, which of these behaviors are acceptable or unacceptable, and more broadly to do with the question of um, what is the what is the posture of heart that we bring toward God as we think about the the degree of interest he has uh, in our stewardship of our own bodies and the degree of authority he has to have interest in those things. Um, because it seems to me, that for a lot of us, straight and gay and everything else, uh, there there can be there can be a point at which people want to say to God, like, okay, you can make some rules, but then at some point, like, this is going to be my thing, um, right? Like, oh, sure, you can make yeah. rules about whether or not gay people can get married, but once I marry my spouse, like, you shouldn't have an opinion on that, Jesus, you know? Um, uh, and, and I think... Um, Again, regardless of where we draw lines on these things, I think this is how a lot of Protestants, for instance, will think about something like contraception or non-procreative forms of sex within marriage is they'll say like, oh, yeah, I just I just don't want Jesus to have an opinion on that. I think that's part of like, yeah, yeah, like Jesus said I had to marry the right kind of person. He says I have to be faithful to my spouse. But now that I'm in my marriage, like Jesus can have no opinions on what me and my spouse do in the bedroom. Um and again, whether uh, whether you whether you think deeply through these questions and arrive at the at the at the view that there really are no Christian limits within uh, sexual activity within marriage, um, oh, I hope you don't believe there are no limits. I hope you I hope you recognize that things like marital rape are a real problem. Mm. Um, I am not the right podcast guest to discuss marital rape, so we're not going to go there today. Um, <laughs> Although at this point we've already gone there. Good heavens! You would think I'm coming back after a sabbatical too. Um, uh, we'll just we'll make sure Preston doesn't listen to this. It's, oh, by, by by all means, encourage him to. Um, uh, I. It seems to me that the the attitude of heart that says, "I really I want to give Jesus permission to go this far with me and no farther." Yeah. Um, that that it seems to me is the more fundamental problem when it comes to our sexuality, um, and simultaneously, a belief in kind of the the grossness of our sexuality or the grossness of our bodies uh, that tends to pervade a lot of these conversations. Um, I love the way First Corinthians six offers its rationale for like care with our sexuality and our bodies. Um, uh, where Paul says at the end of the chapter, uh, uh, you're, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Um, and, and I think, uh, I remember when I first learned that verse thinking like, oh yeah, like God's just saying he owns me, you know, like that, that feels kind of oppressive maybe a little bit. And I felt uncomfortable with that passage. Uh, and the more I sat with it and realized like, oh, like you're not your own. You were bought with a price suggests that there's like there's such great honor accorded to the human body. Mm. Um, God is saying like, I'm actually really jazzed about the human body. Like when I created people, male and female in my image, I said like the body itself is an image um, of who God is. Um, and I think if we believe that reality deeply, um, then it would give us more cause to be careful in the ways that we think of our bodies as belonging to God. Um, and yeah, I would, I would love for us to see our discussions about sexual stewardship, about sexual ethics as being motivated less by a disgust for 
what is bad and motivated more by a delight in that which God calls good. Because it seems to me that that is the logic that 1 Corinthians 6 offers to us, is a logic of saying the reasoning behind a care for sexual stewardship is a reasoning that says God takes such great, passionate, interested delight in the embodiment of the human. Um, and I think if, if our conversation can be oriented toward that positive vision, um, we're, we're much better set up. Uh, again, to approach those conversations in a way that's not motivated just by drawing a line and saying this is in and this is out, um, but instead that says, Jesus, because I trust that you actually have such deep, intimate care for my body, I want to make all of my sexual decisions from here on out, um, not just the line drawing, but the way that I inhabit, uh, the spaces I inhabit, I want those to be motivated by an ongoing understanding um, of the, the care and the interest that you have in the way that I've been embodied. Um, uh, I feel I'm at risk of rambling, and yet I want to ramble slightly further um, uh, in saying this, that uh, I... I think it's I think it's really, really incredibly crucial uh, when we talk about sex and sexual embodiment to recognize um, that uh, that it's not as if uh, a marital relationship that has uh, you know sexual activity within it, um, that's not just like the yes of sex and being single and celibate is just the no of sex. Um, uh, that there are there are no's that still need to be said within marriage, and again, I'm I will largely leave it to you, married folks, to figure out what the what the no's are within marriage. Um, I am the wrong person to have that conversation most of the time, though I'm full of opinions. Um, uh, and and there are also there are also yeses uh, in 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 the way that we're uh, embodied as uh, single people. Uh, again, not yeses to sexual activity. I, I do genuinely believe that the call to singleness includes, for followers of Jesus, a call to be sexually abstinent. Um, and yet, uh, that's not simply a waste of a person's sexual embodiment. Mm. Um, uh, it's not as if God is sitting up in heaven being like, well, when Coles became single, at that point, I really just wished that I hadn't given him genitals. Like, it really would have been, you know, he he should have just been, uh, um, it, it's not as if at the point at which we choose celibacy, um, we choose something that that fundamentally denies our, our sexual embodiment. Um, but instead there there is, um, and I think the, the Catholic monastic tradition has been far better about leaning into this reality than, than Protestants, I think largely because Protestants are just scared of celibacy in general. Um, hmm. But the reality that there is still an ordering of the self and of the body toward the the person of Jesus within celibacy, that there's a, a unique kind of yes within that. Um, uh, okay, at, the, at, at this point, um, with hopes that I have said at least a few scandalous things, I will I will shut up. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I want to close with getting your some of your thoughts on singleness. And so um, just kind of, I'm going to tie a couple of things together here. Um, you know, and, and singleness and community as well, you know, No Longer Strangers, I feel like did a lot. I think both, both books point a lot towards community. And I, I think there's this, um, this uh, 
Well, there's another, there's the myth within the church is that when you get married, then all your needs for community are satisfied. But I also, I also, uh, on the same token, want to honor the ache that a lot of single people feel, you know, um, I was just this week, you know, Facebook friend, acquaintance, um, online, there's a woman and she's put her age. I think she's getting close to 30 and just kind of wrote a long sort of heartfelt, um, post about being single and how it's difficult. And, uh, it's, it's a season, you know, and, and she's trusting that God will, um, basically bring her a husband, you know, at the right time. And hmm. she's going to trust God during this season of singleness. And, and several people commented underneath, um, other women who are single and said, yeah, me too. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with God with the same thing right now. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot wrapped up in that. Cause there's, there's real, I, I say that as a real example, like a real, yeah. a real ache. And I, I just wonder what, uh, you know, what would you say, I, what's, what's your advice to, to, to singles um, and, and particularly to singles who are struggling with, with that type of ache that they're feeling? Because as I read it, my, in my heart, I'm like, you know, it, it may not be a season. It might be, but mm. what if he never comes? You know, what if, what if got that? And then, and then again, that person will come, and and you'll have a lot of problems. And sometimes, it's worse than when you were, you know, you'll wish you were single again. Um, so I don't. When you hear that, what what comes to what comes to mind for you? And and maybe in addition, just some general advice you have uh, to singles that are feeling, you know, pretty isolated, whether they're gay or straight. Uh, but I think the church does a pretty lousy job in general at providing community um, to singles, um, and just ways that you've navigated that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that question. Um, a couple things that come to mind. One is I would just want to acknowledge that first of all, that I think the ache is there for singleness, but for singles, but it's also felt differently by different kinds of single folks. Um, right. Like I recognize that as a, as a man living in the West, I experience singleness very differently than single women experience mm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, I think while there are lots of similarities between the experience of straight people's singleness and gay people's singleness, um, I think those are felt differently in some various ways. And so, yeah, the ache looks different for for different folks, but I, I think there's I think there's some commonality in it. There we can we can find some solidarity in it. And within that, I've found it helpful to, to recognize um, uh, that the the current the current state of singleness, singleness as we experience it right now, um, before the marriage of Christ and His Bride in eternity, um, it is seasonal for all of us. Um, mm. Just more seasonal for some than for others. Um, uh, I mean, marriage, you know, your marriage, Noah, is also seasonal, Um, you know, hopefully for, may the Lord grant you and your wife many, many years. Um, But also, like, if we take Jesus seriously, you and your wife are not going to be married in eternity either. Um, uh, You also will join us, uh, join the the rest of us single folks in, you know, participating collectively in the marriage between Christ and his church. Um, And, uh, and if we recognize like all of our 
all of our vocations on this earth are temporary. Um, no matter how permanent we feel our permanent address has become, uh, it is temporary um, uh, because this life itself is temporary. Um, and so I, I would want to encourage folks, I think, to see the temporariness of life as uh, both as, as a really hopeful truth and also as a constant uncomfortable reminder um, to not try to seek a life in which you feel totally settled, mm. um, right? To not try to make your current singleness or marriage the thing that you get so comfortable in that you think, oh yeah, like I need this to be forever. Um, because the invitation of Jesus to his followers is actually an invitation to a kind of homelessness. I love when a, a particular disciple comes to Jesus and says, um, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, well, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He's basically like, if you want to follow me, like mm. get ready for a life of placelessness. Mm. Um, and I think so many of us are waiting around looking for our place um, and feeling like, well, if I don't have it right now, like I don't have it as a single person, but I'll get married and then I'll have my place. Um, and the reality is you don't have your place now. And if you get married in this lifetime, you will still not have your place. Um, uh, but Jesus is good in the midst of the placelessness. Um, uh, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Abraham and Sarah are praised for their faith, um, precisely because the author of Hebrews says, you know, uh, they, they lived in tents, um, uh, they subsisted on promises. That's more of a paraphrase than what the author actually says. Um, but they they anticipated the things coming even though they yeah. didn't see them. Yeah. Um, and so whether you remain single for your entire life, whether you have a human marriage coming for you, um, uh, in the end, all of us as followers of Jesus are called to anticipating a promise that will never fully be realized until we get home to eternity. Um, and so in that sense, um, I hope, I hope that our, our most confident security, um, as single people who recognize that our, our singleness is in some sense seasonal, I hope the security we're looking for is not the security of eventually becoming married. Um, but I hope it's the security of knowing that the, the marriage between Christ and his bride will be so good that it is worth waiting for. Mm -hmm. Can, can you, um, Practically, how do you live as a single person where you still have community in your life? Oh, I live entirely impractically. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, okay. Oh, so this is um, this is the thing about community. I think uh, so often um, we we build a vision in our minds of the kind of community we ought to have, or the sort of people with whom we feel like we need to be friends. Um, the way that we think we need to experience. Uh, and then we find ourselves discounting the, the kinds of possibility for community connection that don't fit our model. Like, well, yeah, this person is around and available, but like, they're not really the kind of person I imagined becoming friends with. Um, or we think like, oh, I want to be, I want to be hospitable and help create community. And we have this vision of hospitality that's like, and the floors will be perfectly vacuumed and the food will be beautiful and the souffle perfectly risen, you know, um, like we have this vision of how life in community is supposed to happen. Um, 
And then we miss out on the opportunities to actually have life in community because we're so busy trying to mm. achieve this, this imagined and, and not actualized vision. Um, practically, it seems to me um, that the, the way to do community is to start doing it before you're ready for it and to do it with the kind of people who you didn't imagine yourself doing it with. Um, uh, I, I mentioned earlier, we were talking about the, my hurdle friends. Um, so lots of, lots of my closest friends here in Boise um, are, uh, as I said, that, that group is all like nine years older than me, um, uh, which is great. I, I don't hang out with them and think like, wow, I am nine years younger than these people. I just hang out with them and think like, these are my friends, you know, and I'm friends with like 15 year olds. And I'm like, these people are great. And I'm friends with like, single single widowed women in their mm-hmm. 80s you know and and these people are amazing and if i if i walked around as i think so many westerners yeah. do being like okay as as a man in my early 30s i'm gonna need some other single men in my early 30s and that's gonna have to be my my crew um i think that i think the genius of the body of christ is that it puts us into community with one another uh in the midst of our difference in the midst of our imperfection um and it gathers us around the table and says, look, take and eat from the body, um, not not because you've arrived, but because you still need to eat, you still need to drink. So do it in fellowship with one another. Um, uh, yeah, be be hospitable in the context of your imperfection, you know, um, be in relationship with one another, even when you feel like it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um uh, because if you if you wait for the vision of the community that you think you ought to have, then you'll miss the community that God has placed in your lap. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm going to wrap it up there. And uh, I guess, well, I, I, I'll ask before I go, if there's anything just um, pressing that you want to you want to share with listeners, um, I, I, I think. Um, I think you're, you're, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just toss it back over to you. And if not, no worries, but I think this is, this is just really, really helpful. And I think again, for those, um, for those that are wrestling with their own sexuality, for those that are, um, that aren't, you know, and, and for those who are single, there's just, there's, there's so much to glean from your story and your, your, what you've had to wrestle with and, and the way the way that you're leading. So uh, I guess any any closing words of encouragement uh, for listeners. I found it great fun. Sometimes people ask me like a closing word of encouragement. Um, uh, And I'll I'll quote uh, Jesus from I believe it's the book of John. uh, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Um, uh, Which doesn't sound terribly like an encouragement to a lot of us. Um, but I, I think there's, I think there's something really importantly beautiful about it. Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe this brings us back to kind of the, the place at which we began our conversation, um, the making the distinction between being people whose priority is to be perceived as followers of Jesus and being people who actually follow Jesus. Um, uh, there's, there's something both disheartening and simultaneously reassuring and encouraging, about the reminder uh, that the actual pursuit of Jesus uh, will lead us into a place where not all people will speak well of us. 
Um, and part of the gift of finding ourselves in that space and being not always spoken well of um, is that it's an invitation uh, to us to, to constantly be reevaluating the question of whether the thing we're pursuing is actually Jesus. Um, and that it seems to me as a question that we need to ask ourselves again and again, because we are so well predisposed as human beings to pursuing things that dress like Jesus. And we have come to believe our Jesus, but turn out in the end, just to be our idolized vision uh, of him, or just turn out to be our community's perception of whether we are like him. Um, but in, in Jesus himself, there is something so much more glorious than that. Um, and also so much more ignominious than that. Um, uh, I don't know what that word means. You got to unpack that. Uh, ignominious, um, related to ignominy, a uh, poor reputation. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, bad, bad words, uh, spoken about oneself. Um, uh, yeah. Um, the the invitation into Jesus is an invitation into perhaps even a bit of sketchiness to use a word that we were using earlier on, um, uh, and and I think there's I think there's a great gift of that not not just for folks who are in a vocation like mine not not just for the gay celibates among us um, but even for even for the the straight married pastors with a really strong facial hair game like Noah um, right <laughs> there is also for Noah. Um, an invitation to the ignominy of having not all people speak well of you. Mm. Um, uh, and the Jesus you find in the midst of that will be far better than the Jesus of the good reputation that you might have thought you needed. Mm. That's good. Thanks, Greg. This has been awesome. Thanks for joining us on the flip side. Oh, what a delight, Noah. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, welcome back. I'll try to keep our outro short. I know my intro was long and the interview was a little long and I'm trying, survey uh, su survey submitters, uh, I'm trying to keep these episodes a little bit shorter. So we, 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 uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep working on that. Uh, again, just a couple things. If you can fill out the survey, that would super help me out. NoahPhilippiak.com slash survey. Also in the show notes. Uh, if you can help us get to our goal of 20 patrons to be able to keep the podcast sustainable, you can go to patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak and score some sweet swag there as well. Uh, be sure to become a subscriber so you can catch up on your five-minute flips, which is a ton of bonus content, really short, usually 10 to 15-minute episodes uh, that you may have missed. Thank you uh, for tuning in. I highly recommend you check out single gay Christian and no longer strangers and I will see you next time on the flip side the flip side with Noah Philippia is a beyond ministries production copyright Noah Philippia www.noahphilippiac.com theme music by Kyle Link at Kalik Music used with permission please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. And you